my new nemesis in allergies has, well, he's not new, but it has reared its ugly head. The cottonwood trees, when they start to kick off cotton, <clears throat> that was designed by Satan. God would never have done that to me on purpose. Oh, I hate cottonwood trees. They, they give decent shade, but other than that, they're about worthless. They, they're not good for firewood. They're, all they do is kick off cotton and clog up air conditioners, which, yay for some of my family job security. Um, but <clears throat> continuing with our series on family and family on mission, uh, to, today we're going to look at the, the identities that parts of the family step into in, in our culture here. And, and when I say Western culture, it, it's, it, it's, it's not fair to just say American culture because you'll find this in a lot of European cultures as well. But when you get on over to Israel and the Middle East, you get more of these traditional family values that we're looking at. And, uh, and I'm never saying any of this to say that we don't love our families. But looking at the biblical model, we could be better. Okay, And it's not necessarily that we don't love them, but it's in how we show our love to them that maybe needs to change. And... And a lot of it's because of how society has told us we have to identify ourselves as parts of the family unit. And the, the more I look at society, the less I want them to tell me anything. They don't even know what bathroom to use. And, and that is also an identity thing. And, and it, I'm not here to pick fights. And I, I'm here to speak the truth in love. And if speaking the truth in love hurts your feelings, well, your feelings are broke because they're not submitted under the authority of Jesus Christ. And the reality is if your feelings aren't there, then your heart's not there. And where your heart is, your treasure will be or what you put value in. And if you put more value in your self-identity than you do in your identity in Christ, I'll just tell you, you're lost and you need a Savior. And... If that hurts your feelings, well, praise God, it hurts your feelings because you need them hurt. I, I'm pretty sure it hurt Jesus' feelings to carry my sin to the cross, and he did it anyway. But as we said last week, the most effective attack of the devil that he has made on the church is the deconstruction of the family unit. And the fastest way to destroy the family unit is to eliminate identity, and the roles of the family. It's the fastest way to tear it apart. Fastest way to, to beat another team in sports is to get their players to try and do things outside of their role on the team. If you take away their best scorer, how good are they? If you take away their top two scorers, how good are they? If you make them go to their third or fourth option, you win 89% of the time. And I, I use sports analogies a lot. I'm a coach. Uh, which is why we'll steal a quote from Scottie Pippen. Sometimes a player's greatest challenge is coming to grips with his role on the team. 
Okay, if we're looking at the family as a team, the greatest struggle we're going to run into is people finding and coming to grips with their role on the team. And, and part of that is because our culture and our society has done everything it can to destroy or minimize roles. Or uh, I'll, I'll just borrow a really great term. They've perverted the roles of different parts of the family and made it something it was never meant to be. And they disguise it under these really great terms of going out and being successful or <clears throat> empowering. That, that's a term that crawls all over me. I don't want to be empowered with anything but the Holy Spirit. And anytime I hear Christians talking about empowering people to go succeed in the world, they've missed it. John 15, verses 4 and 5, one of my favorite passages of the Bible and easily one of the, my favorite teachings of Jesus. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing okay the the central theme of today and we we won't talk about it nearly enough is that when you root your identity in christ your identity in the family becomes natural because part of your family's mission in this life is to bear fruit and the only way that you bear fruit, and I'll, I'll hit people first, mom and dad, the only way that you bear fruit is if you're abiding in the vine. The, uh, a harsh reality that, that I was faced with a question, do I love God more than I love my spouse? Do I desire to spend more time with God than I desire to spend with my spouse? Am I willing to confess that to my wife that, hey, I love God and want to spend more time with him than I do you? Because that's going to hurt her feelings. But at the same time, it's going to excite her if she's got her identity rooted in Christ as well. Because by virtue of that, it'll draw us together. There was your free marriage seminar for the day. You know, <clears throat> we'll, we'll put out the 800 number later. You can call in your pledges. No, I'm just... I'm just messing with you. <clears throat> the identity of the father. And Western culture has destroyed fatherhood. And, and it's because of this. Western culture figured out early. And, and the devil figured this out early. He figured out the heart of men. That with men, our greatest energy is wrapped up in what makes us feel significant. Now soak that in a minute. Your greatest energy is wrapped up in what makes you feel significant. Why at times do we go and give our absolute best at the job, go above and beyond, and then come home and we're less than average dads and husbands? Because something in our job made us feel significant. This is not a bash on our wife or our kids. It's, it's a reality check to us as men. If I'm giving my greatest energy to my job, it's because something there I found significance for myself in. And, and that becomes a, a real rooted problem issue for men. 
because why why do men seek women outside of their marriage because someone outside their marriage made them feel significant that's not a bash on the wife i'm i'm gonna hold the husband's feet to the fire because now you know and according to gi joe in the 1980s knowing is half the battle if you know that something making you feel significant is what's going to draw your energy, then you have to, according to Scripture, guard your heart. Guard your heart for out of it come the issues of life. You cannot be giving your energy away to something that doesn't deserve it. And, and we'll get to that. Western fathers, and man, that print got tiny. They're individual-minded. Because their energy is drawn to what makes them feel significant. They're individual minded. What makes me feel good? What, what is going to make me look successful? What is going to, you know, how can, and, and sometimes we try and wire it up really pretty. How can I leave something greater for my kids? That is one of the great lies we believe that, that our kids are, are going to love us through our inheritance. You're going to be gone, Dad. They don't care about your money. They care about your time. We see work as separate from family. And, and we struggle when the needs of our family or our kids come into direct competition with our job. Honey, I can't leave work early to go to the t-ball game because that will cost us money. I can't leave work early to go to the dance recital because that may cost me the promotion. I, I can't because if, if I stop plowing the field today, we won't get the crops in in time for the next rain. We feel as though we're leaders in our corporate job and, and we find that role more fulfilling than being the leader at home because we don't really understand what that looks like and we struggle with it. I'm, I'm telling you, it's kind of, kind of hard to preach this part of the sermon with three men in the room. <laughs> but ladies, this will give you some insight to the men in your life. And it's not for you to use it to, to twist or corrupt, but it, it gives you an understanding to have compassion and to speak the truth in love to draw them into their God-given role. Because if you go back to Genesis, that was the role of Eve. She was to draw the fullness of Adam's masculinity out to make him the best version of himself. She was literally called his helper. How much help did he really need in the garden? He'd probably need a little more help naming animals or we wouldn't come up with aardvark or platypus. I really think the platypus, this is a side note, I got ADD this morning, should have been called the whatchamacallit. Because God just took all the spare parts and showed off. Look, it's got a bill of a duck, it's got a tail of a beaver, and it has a pouch like a kangaroo. Whatchamacallit. Then the candy bar could have been called a platypus. I'm going to eat me a platypus today. No, okay. Anyways, 
they often view family as something they chose to start and that they can participate in the family at times of their choosing when it's convenient. You know, we got married. This will appease my wife and let her feel like she is a, a fully mature woman. Let's have a baby. And now she won't be lonely because she has a baby. There, there are men that think that way. I'm not saying any of them in this building do. But there's times it appears that's what they think too. And we'll get to that in a little bit. 60% of children will spend some or all of their childhood living apart from their father. This is in the U.S. This is just a U.S. statistic. 60% of all kids in America will spend some or all of their childhood separated from their father. You wonder why we got some of the issues we do? Dad's not there. Psalm 127, 4 and 5, Like the arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, we, we don't have time to break all of that down, but if that man really wanted to be counted as a warrior, he had to have those arrows in his quiver when he went around town. I love going places with my kids and hate it at the same time. I'll just be real. There's times where I could get it done faster without them. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And, and we, I love walking around with all my kids just for the reaction of, are all these kids yours? There's times I get sarcastic with people that ask that. And I'm like, let me count. Make sure we didn't pick up an extra today. You know, <clears throat> of course, there's some I want to say, no, none of them are mine. They just tag along. I don't know. You know, not really. I claim you, don't I, Audrey? Audrey's Mom getting. Will be giving the... Audrey's working on the eyebrow thing early. Mom would be giving you the glare right now. All right, team fathers. He understands that work is part of his family role. But he is always the patriarch first. Yes, I have a job that I go to, but that is my job. That is not who I am. And it's an interesting dichotomy in the, in the U.S. that we, when we introduce somebody, and if, you know, Jeff, you're, you're all alone, so I'm picking on you. Uh, if I introduce Jeff, you know, most of the time we introduce Jeff as who we know him to be by his trade. This is Jeff. He's a banker. And, and maybe we get to talking about, you know, he's married and has two daughters. Very rarely do we introduce him as, yeah, this is Jeff Newby. He's the son of Dan Newby. And he's the father of two beautiful young ladies. We, we don't introduce them that way because... The, this is part of the war on the identity of men is that we are what we do. Now, when you introduce me, I will not get bent out of shape if you say this is our pastor. Uh, I do love that title sometimes. But first and foremost, I'm the pastor of the Manning household. 
So it's not going to blow my mind to get called a pastor. But, or, you know, some people will introduce you as the, the coach at Buffalo. And I'm not going to get bent out of shape about that, but that's not who I am. I'm the son of Dan Manning, and I'm the father to five beautiful children. And, and I'm just part of a family that's been going for thousands of years. Is what I'm doing, helping the team succeed, is what drives a team father. Is this job really helping our family succeed, or am I out here chasing what I want? These are tough questions. It's not, it's not easy for me either. And, and we look at work as gathering resources to strengthen the team. If I have to spend time away from my family, I want it to be providing something for the family. And this is new to me as well, because I used to be about, I'm going to go work, I'm going to come home, and sometimes I need to decompress, so I'm going to go play golf by myself, or I'm going to go to the movies by myself, or I'm going to, you know, very selfish-minded, I'm growing too, praise God. I take Xavier golfing with me, which, taking a beginner, woo, wrecks your scores, but it's a lot of fun watching him grow as a golfer. But... Time away from the family is not meant to just be, oh, I got to have my time. That, that phrase of me time crawls all over me because there's nothing biblical about it. There is time of rest, but it's not time of me time. If you're a man or woman of God, you need to eliminate that from your vocabulary because it's not about you. It is about God. And it is about taking care of what God entrusted to you. And in this case, that's a family. Team fathers understand that they are already on a team and sacrificing for the job is like switching teams. If you need a drastic modern example of this, you know, how many times did Kevin Durant talk about the Thunder being a family? And then when it came time to get a championship, he left the family to get his. Okay, that'll speak into men in ways that may not speak to you women. That's okay. But when you decide, hey, I'm going to work the extra hours rather than go to the kids' event or rather than go home and spend time with my family, you just pulled the Kevin Durant. You're chasing a ring instead of chasing a legacy. But... Anyways, I'll quit harping on Durant. I, I forgave him in Jesus' name. I love him. He's still a good ball player, but there's a reason Michael Jordan's a GOAT. Family is something he was born into and has been going for thousands of years and has been entrusted to him for this time. It's something where I... I'm starting to look at family different, and I look at my dad as he's aging... And I'm thinking, you know, when he dies, on dad's side of the family, I become the patriarch. That, that is a humbling and terrifying thought, that when my dad is gone, I become the patriarch. That the rest of the family will be looking to me for leadership. That's a terrifying thought. 
on my mom's side, I'm still blessed to have my grandpa. We have a patriarch. And it's completely changed my view of who grandpa is. My kids can say they have a great grandpa. And, and family gatherings with him are just more special than you can imagine. But when my father passes away is not the part of where I become the patriarch for the Mannings. I'm already entrusted with taking steps to fulfill that role. I'm already entrusted with five children of my own that I am their patriarch. And thousands of years from now, should Jesus not come back before then, and I don't see how that's possible, my kids will still be part of something that was happening long before me. And my family is an inseparable part of who I am. I can't just say, I'm flipping the switch, I'm going out the door, and I'm going to be Coach Manning. Because when I'm courtside, I'm still J.J. Manning, the father of five beautiful kids, the husband of a very beautiful wife. What I'm doing doesn't change who I am. My identity is rooted in Jesus, and Jesus rooted me into a family. The identity of mothers, Western mothers, and this will hit home with some of you, often feel isolated. They've sacrificed their body and often their career to have children. And, and because their husband is out spending his energy chasing the, the, the American dream, the, the, the prosperity dream, she often feels like she has made all those sacrifices just to become the captain of a ship that could sink at any moment. Or a five ring circus that could burn the tent down at any moment. She often feels like she's forced to lead. And the reality is in the American church, and I haven't done the research on the global church, that more than 70% of attenders of church are women. Now, the statistics for your kids being in church and staying in church, if you look at them from a, a perspective of dads, and we'll probably revisit that on Father's Day, if dad is active in the church and dad is seeking the Lord and, and leading his family in that way, 98% of the kids do it. 98. Man, I'd take that. That's an A+. Plus. But when dad is not involved in church the number drops below 60. Even if mom's doing her very best because she's forced to step into the leadership role of the family. Moms are often found waiting for the next big stressor that will blow the family apart. And she has this deep-rooted fear of losing her family. Maybe that's losing her husband or not physically losing him, but losing him to his job or losing him to a, a pursuit that he takes on outside of the family. Maybe it's losing her kids because they just go off the rails, go crazy and do crazy things because kids tend to do that without a dad to rein in. Uh, we'll call it what it is, rein in the stupidity. 
That's part of dad's job. We herd in the dumb. And we, we understand kids are like canoes. They're best paddled from the rear. Moms have a hard time paddling sometimes. Dads really don't. We'll paddle first, ask questions later. And if not, uh, check your man card. And check the Bible. It does say the rod of discipline drives rebellion far from the heart of a child. The fourth thing that often happens in Western families is the wife grows to resent her husband if he's even around. Because we talked about how many of them are already checked out because of his freedom. And I've caught this. Finally soaks in after... Man, how long have you been around? 11 years. 12 years. Well, you're alive 12 years, but you've been with us 11. But after 11 years, I finally heard the heart of my wife as I began to study this, that when I just take off and go to work or, or we need to run errands and I just went and did it by myself, that it felt like I had this tremendous freedom to just go do whatever I wanted whenever I wanted and that she was anchored to the kids and could never have that freedom. As a wake-up call, not just to me, but to men in the church. Team mothers. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Proverbs 31.25, that's talking about the virtuous woman. I want you to understand when... When a woman is allowed to step into her God-given role in the team, she's like a beautiful garden that just flourishes. Because the first thing is she sees her nurturing as a gift to the family. It's not a duty. It's not forced upon her. It's her gift to the family. She finds her value in being part of the team because she sees her husband laying down his life to love her and her children. And I want you to understand, men, that is not an excuse to go work overtime and do that. That is not laying down your life. Laying down your life is sacrificing the job for your family, not the other way around. Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. You're never going to lay down your life for your friends if you don't learn how to do it for your family. Three, she sees stressors as rally points for the family rather than their capabilities to blow the family apart. Okay, case in point this week, Xavier broke a window. Not just any window, but one of the big, like, trailer house windows in the living room, which may not be a big deal to you guys. Uh, as the heating and air guy in me, it's right next to the return air. Broken window right next to the return air means it's pulling outside temperature into the return air which is going to freeze up the air conditioner, which is going to make dad sweat sitting in his recliner. Dad ain't cool with that. Dad was very angry when the, the window broke because I thought he threw something through it. Instead, I find out later he, he did. He threw his hip through it. So it turned into a praise the Lord, you weren't cut, and an ER bill on top of a window bill. The crisis of finding windows in a supply chain plagued era. Praise the Lord, we found windows. And everybody in the family in their own way helped install new windows yesterday. What could have been a crisis point that made dad blow up and lose his cool, made 
mom blow up and lose her cool, made Xavier blow up and freak out because everybody's losing their cool on him, made the air conditioner blow up. No, <laughs> praise the Lord, the air conditioner is not part of the family. But it, it all could have been a point where everybody just, and instead we rallied together because that's what teams do. When, when, when struggle happens, when bad things happen, and one of the best pictures of this, the ancient Greeks, when they come under attack, they lock shields and they almost make a giant turtle shell out of shields to protect them, protect themselves and the guy next to them. That's the perfect view of a family. When tragedy or hard times hit, we lock shields and we have each other's back. The, a, a quote that I'm stealing from the movie The Godfather. It's crazy where you get inspiration sometimes. But uh, Mama Corleone, uh, one of the, the Corleone family is a central family in the movie The Godfather. And she looks at her son when everything's going into chaos and she reminds him of this. You can never lose your family. No matter how bad it gets, and this is hopefully speaking right to the heart of mom. No matter how bad it gets, you can never lose your family. No matter how bad it looks, you can't lose your family. The identity of the children, and we'll speed this up really quick. Uh, Western children kind of adopted the tabula rasa or the clean slate approach to children. And, and you'll see this over and over in the way that kids are taught, that uh, they're, they're not getting their identity from their family, they're getting it from their peers. And it's just like you hand them a clean slate, but you don't give them a pen. And you give all of their friends a pen, so their friends begin to shape their identity. And we're, we're told this great idea of you can be anything you want to be. That's a great idea. That's a great philosophical idea. I prefer to approach it from you can be whatever God calls you to be. And anything outside of that, you won't feel like you're fulfilling your purpose. Because we, we tell them, believe in yourself no matter what. There are one very small percentage of the population that have that. They're called sociopaths. People are like, uh-uh, no. The only people who will not allow outside thoughts or opinions to shape them are sociopaths. Everyone else has to actively have someone speaking into their life to override bad information they're receiving. Your child may draw something at home and you tell them, oh, honey, you're such an artist. They get to school and they draw that for the art teacher and he's like, you're not an artist. And then they're left confused because they don't have the identity. Because they were told they were something and then they're told they're not. Or they draw something and their friends say, well, that's awful. You know, or they're the smartest kid in their class and their friends say, well, you're such a nerd. They're riding on that slate. The identity of who that kid is. Well, you're such a great athlete. You're an athlete. Well, what happens when you hit... 30 
and that athleticism starts to leave you, who are you then? We, we have this extended adolescence in Western society where we're, we're still grasping and, and trying to figure out who we are because we were never given an identity. And, or the identities we were given fall apart. The, the world out there is trying to tell kids that you can choose your gender. You can choose how you identify yourself, what pronouns you use. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Simple biology tells me there is male and female. And in about 1.2% of the population, there's hermaphrodite. And even then, you can blood test it and find out it's a male or a female. Just saying. I'm, I said it. Moving on. Not a wonder our society lives in confusion. Because you're a great artist. No, you're not. You're very intelligent. No, you're not. You get to college and they'll tell you everything you learned in high school is garbage. You're an idiot. And you need to see the world as a bunch of idiots. That, that's what they'll teach you, that religion is idiot. It's different with team kids. Because the glory of the children is their father's. Their identity is found in the family and it grows from it. Audrey and I had a great talk this morning. Audrey, who are you? She's not going to say it out loud, but she knows she's my daughter. And that's where her identity begins. She's my daughter. And knowing that, knowing who you are builds confidence. We, we talked about it from an athletic standpoint. If you go to hit in the game of baseball or softball and you don't know who you are when you step into the box, the only thing you're thinking about is who that pitcher is. And the more you think about who that pitcher is, the less likely you're going to be able to hit them. If you go in there knowing this is my stance, this is my grip, I see the ball off her hip and I hit it, it doesn't matter if, if you're Audrey versus Jenny Finch, you're going to go in there swinging the bat. You may not hit the ball because Jenny's probably can still throw 65, but you know who you are. And it's the same thing in life. When a kid goes out and knows that I'm going to school to learn some stuff and to, to find what God's unique skills and talents are for me so that I can continue to bless my family, it'll change their confidence level in a hurry. Yes, kids will say mean things and it'll hurt their heart sometimes, but then we as parents get to remind them who they are. And guess what? That, that mean kid at school called you a nerd? We're smart people. We're okay with that. Because you're my daughter and nothing you do can ever change the way I love you. They learn from every celebration that we have as a family, every wedding we go to, every Sabbath, and, and we'll talk more about that in weeks to come, every festival, every tradition rooted in our family builds their identity. If you don't have some family traditions, start thinking of them, make them up. You can start your own tradition of, hey, every third Friday we have ice cream Sundays. Bless your heart. It's a tradition and it'll something that your kids will remember and they'll teach to their kids. The last thing is, is children who are raised in, in a team environment, 
They know their identity and they work to use their unique skills to help build that identity and strengthen the family. We, we talked about it last week. Garrison right now is not on a path to come home and run the ranch, but he is on a path to continue to strengthen the resources of his family. He's on a trajectory for that, and he's going to carry on the best part of the legacy of that family, which is loving Jesus. And his identity is firmly rooted in loving Jesus. You can't beat it. Okay, the identity of siblings. This is a real quick one. Siblings in the West are rivals due to scarcity. There's a reason a lot of people only have two or three kids in America because they, they want to be able to leave them each significant resources. Our kids are just going to get used to being broke. It'll be okay. We have five. But <clears throat> siblings in America don't often develop deep friendship until adulthood, if they develop it at all. Because as kids, they're competing for the affections and the resources of the family. And until adulthood, when maybe mom and dad are gone and they're all they have left, is when they develop that friendship. I, I've lived this. Okay? My siblings and I were not really good friends when we were younger. Now, they're some of my best friends. And thankfully, mom and dad got to live long enough to see that. Because they probably thought we hated each other at times, and that's okay. Because we... I grew up in an environment that's different than I'm going to raise my kids. And it's not that it was wrong. Mom and dad did what they knew they could do. Team siblings, rooted in Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Team siblings are teammates, not rivals. And they want the best from and for each other. And they have a lifelong friendship instead of waiting until adulthood. People are blown away sometimes at how our kids get along so well. And I think it's a public rouge that my kids put on because at times they fight like cats and dogs at home. But out in public, they seem to get along a lot. And they're like the, the kid that either the teachers are lying or they really put on a good show. They're great kids at school. At home, they drive you nuts. Extended family identity. Western idea of extended family is the relationship is held to the metric of if we weren't related, would we still be friends? And that's how you view relationships with your cousins. Sometimes that's how we treat our grandparents. You know, if, if they weren't related, would I really go spend time with them like they're my friend? Ouch. A team identity, we understand that grandchildren are the crown of the aged. And the glory of the children is their fathers. Tying it all back together that, that, yes, these are my kids, but they're the crowning achievement of my parents. They're the best thing my parents ever did. They're the best thing that Randall and Joyce ever did. My other mom and dad. They're the best thing that those two sets of people ever did are these guys. It's okay that I kind of get on the back burner in the eyes of my parents because I'm not the crown, the crowning achievement of their life. And you really want to have fun, you go sit at a meal with a great grandparent with all these great grandkids. It's like an extra crown. But all these relationships matter because we share a deep sense of identity. I, I keep in contact with the majority of my cousins. 
Not because I would be friends with them if we weren't family, but because we are family. And we share identity. Family reunions matter. I hated them as a kid. Hated them because I didn't understand. I didn't understand I was part of that. Big meals. Something that we're working towards is we have one or two big meals a month and we're going to start incorporating grandparents into that as they're able because they can come tell stories that connect our children to the deeper part of the family line. And connection matters. Back to where we started. If you abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. What happens when we abide in the vine of Jesus Christ and we start to view our family as just an extension of that vine? It's no accident that somebody came up with the idea of a family tree. I just want to know that at the end of the vine, when the vine dresser comes back, at the end of the vine, that, that our part of the branch was still connected to something bearing fruit. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. It seems like a tall order to root your identity in Christ and in your family, but the more you spend time looking at it, the more it biblically makes sense. And it'll change the destiny of your family. Heavenly Father, thank you for today.